Welcome to Super Best Friend Music Show After Dark. Too spooky. Sorry. You told me you were going to be using Dracula voice. Sorry, sorry. Or wait, no, was that Count Chocula? Count Chocula, I'm cool. It was Count Olaf to avoid the lawsuit. Oh, good. I mean, there's still probably a lawsuit there, but it didn't work. Um, anyway, hey everybody. Now we're just going to play the entirety of Fritz Lang's Nosferatu. (laughs) That's the bonus content. That, yeah, doesn't matter. That would have been a good April Fool's Day episode, is just the audio for Nosferatu. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Silent film audio. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, it's silent too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The audio for I'm, I, I'm an artist. My jokes need to be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> we know, Joe. We have this conversation every time. Oh, when oh, I always start every call with, and remember, can we work in that I'm an artist this time? <laughs> no, every day you're like, what if we listen to the audio of Nosferatu? Get it, guys? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> art? <laughs> we all appreciate your art, Joe. I'm Philip Glass now. <laughs> um, welcome to another uh, exhilarating episode of the Super Best Friend Music Show podcast uh, with Alan Richardson and Philip Glass and Dana Slattery. That's me. Uh, I would like to be uh, not Alan Richardson if Joe gets to be Philip Glass. Okay, Can I be a different be? Phil? You may. Who? Philip Ass. Yeah, I, wanna, well, I, mean, I was going to say Phil Spector, but I'll be Philip Ass instead. <laughs> Wait, Philip, Philip Ass is a great uh, drag name. Oh, I yeah. Guess if you're a lady doing oh male God. drag, Philip Ass. I just like the idea of the super best friends music show with Philip Ass and Philip Glass. <laughs> and Dana Slattery. Dana Slattery, Philip Glass, and Philip Ass. Oh. <laughs> uh. Good. All right. I saw one of the last shows that I saw last year was Philip Glass performing Kwayanaskatsi with the his ensemble, uh, while like the the movie played in the background, and it was oh, that's incredible. Sick. Yeah, it was really really cool. It was like a fifteen dollar ticket too. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty. The awesome. last show I saw was Philip Glass filling his ass with fifteen dollars <laughs> worth of pennies. <laughs> <laughs> While the movie played in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, what was it? Um, the uh, the Coolidge Corner Theater. It was like right before things shut down. Uh, the Rizzo was going to do like a live like DJ set while um, like return to the ass with pennies. Oh no, no! <laughs> while while like the movie like the 36 chambers played like the kung fu movie oh i remember that Yeah, they started doing a few like small live performances and it like i can't but like tickets for those were going for like 60 70 bucks a pop yeah well they didn't do that but then they ended up doing like a a live like zoom watch of the movie where the rizza just did commentary for it the whole time (laughs) 
and that was awesome because they hired like a kung fu expert and the Rizza knew more than that guy so he just was useless because <laughs> he'd be like shit. he'd be like well this is like he's like no 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 you have to know about this period in history <laughs> he'd be like no the costumes are adding to the story <laughs> uh, welcome to the show everybody <laughs> Um, so this week, uh, in addition to all the shit we just talked about and all the shit, we're definitely going to keep getting off track and talking about like I we are it. known to do. I doubt it. We're good this time around. Um, but we're talking about Alice Coltrane's 1971 album, World Galaxy, and also the, you know, just like her, a, just a little bit about Alice Coltrane, because that's really fun. I didn't know exactly which album to pick. Um, cause she has a good, good amount of, um, albums where she like leads the charge and then somewhere she's just sort of featured on it. Um, so it was like, I really like one day, a couple weeks ago or whenever I decided I was going to do this one, I just listened to like all the Alice Coltrane that I had, and I still didn't know which one I wanted to talk about, but as I was doing more research on this one world galaxy, I'm really glad that I ended up picking it. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite of hers, but I do think that it it's didn't know it's like a good time sort of in the shifting of her career because there's like two distinct parts of it. Um, so there's like, you know, her earlier stuff, which is definitely more, you know, sort of like a traditional jazz. And then, you know, there's the, the stuff that comes on the other side of that, uh, which is more like spiritual and sort of... Um, like chanty based and uh, world galaxy kind of uh, toes the line on, on either side of, of the, um, of her career there. It feels like jazz getting sucked into a black hole. Yes. Wow. That's a great way to put it. I love I, that. It, it Thank feels, you. It it's like... also pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. That's, it's a cool that's... black hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, a cool uh, black hole for sure. It's definitely wearing like a fedora and smoking a cigarette. Don't like, Joe say loves that. Ska. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, to Joe, that's like the highest compliment yeah, so you can give an album. Is cool. Well, he's wearing those checkerboard vans and just wearing a fedora. Yeah, like it's a really cool black and white hole. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> black and white checker hole. <laughs> Someone please, someone listening, please draw Joe's interpretation of a black hole, of a cool black hole. <laughs> uh, but I, it does, this is a really like cinematic album. Like it is. Definitely. Yeah. The first listen, it's like, whoa, this is like, it, it's a, it's actually a lot more cinematic than I had remembered. Um, and We'll get into why, but I think that that 15 piece fucking string orchestra she has on it has a lot to do with it. Um, so what what is your relationship, both of you, with this album? I know we talked about a little bit last week um, that you you know had listened to some Alice Coltrane, but with this one specifically, had you heard it before? Is it brand new for you? Sure, you want to go first? This was uh, this was brand new for me, so I was really excited, and I was really. Uh, blown away especially I mean I'm sure you'll want to talk about but like as far as album openers go it doesn't get much more bananas than her version of my favorite things like what a way to kick off anything 
So I was I was very impressed and very like like sold from the get go. Like I got really sucked in right away. Uh, but uh, sucked into the black hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it picked me up, picked me up, picked me up. And, uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a bad person but, uh, <laughs> but uh no I really did like I love it and I hadn't actually listened to a full Alice Coltrane album so it felt really uh it felt like a a big like gap of music was filled in for me because like I've been listening to like weirdly during quarantine I've been listening to like a lot of like harp based like experimental and jazz music so like they are all like talking about how much they love Alice Coltrane so it just it mm. felt like this was I was building towards this anyways so it, it felt cool to actually listen to her and then she still feels so fresh and interesting and I obviously uh I love her nephew uh Flying Lotus is like one of my favorite artists right now and so he has like some songs like shouting her out like there's a that song. is so cool I didn't I didn't realize that um they were related but that's that's pretty incredible and i i feel like like the young jazz people at least like maybe like the weirder young jazz people that i really like are uh very reverent of alice and i didn't really know much about her because she was definitely as far as like popular music like people that maybe don't go and listen to avant-garde jazz like I was for most of my life like you don't really hear about Alice you hear about John all the time right then like when you listen to younger uh like jazz people like I feel like there's a real like resurgence and like love and like it feels like overdue but it feels like it's like starting to happen now like where a lot of people are citing her as a major influence and it's really cool so I, I felt I felt like a lot of pieces of what I've been listening to started to click when I heard her I'm like oh this is a big influential artist. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, doing this episode kind of put her in your, in your wheelhouse then. Cause yeah, it's, she's been like a huge, she's probably one of, if not the like most important artists that I am familiar with. Like Mm. this, this record in particular, even just like, I listened to this record so many times in the past week and like every time and for no good reason, I like, it just moves me to tears. Like it's just, it's it's so incredibly beautiful and touching and her music is so special. So I'm glad that that you're on the train now with that sick twofer CD that you bought. Yeah, that was a, that was a sweet deal. <laughs> we love a good deal on a twofer. Um, what about you, Alan? So this is, I have listened to this album and this album only by Alice Coltrane uh, before this, because uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. I worked at a music store for a while uh, with Dana and uh, girl Dana. (laughs) That's me. Yep. Uh, So, and this was because I was, I've been a huge John Coltrane fan since I was 18 uh, I, I think we've talked about it on the podcast where I used to only listen to metal music until, yeah, we did. We talked about it on the Zappa episode. I only listened to metal music. Then I got into Zappa. And then my friend was like, oh, if you like Zappa's jazz, you should try jazz. I was like, <laughs> I was like all right. And the first jazz album I got was Coltrane by John Coltrane, nice. which is a challenging, 
what's jazz like album um, yeah definitely and so it took a while <laughs> but uh the no next did a deep end yeah but then after that i ended up getting you know I, I went through like so many it's such a big coltrane phase from you know as every every boy does after he has sex for the first time at 18 he buys a series of jazz albums to prove that he is an adult uh so like that's right one time in college i bought like a freddie hubbard album and i was uh having sex with my girlfriend at the time to the album and then i didn't realize i had set my itunes to like shuffle albums so right after freddie hubbard ended like mid coitus it just went into birdhouse of your soul but they might be giants which might be <laughs> the least sexy sex song i've ever <laughs> Uh, by they might be giants is not something that i want to hear while oh, having oh, sex. oh no. no that really takes away <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um so, anyway go on oh uh, yeah so then I, <laughs> anyways, thank I, you for that horrifying that. image joe <laughs> uh, at least it wasn't scott i had a similar it's thing enough. happen where i was uh making intercourse during closing time by tom waits mm. And then Ice Cream Man came on. I just started I just started laughing. <laughs> and then she got upset. And I was like, well, it's very funny that this song just came on. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> what? It's really neat. A neat, a neat, neat, neat doesn't get her hot. <laughs> That's Ice Cream Man, right? Jonathan Richmond? No, no, no. no uh, Tom Waits. It's, a, it's on oh, his first fuck. album. I was—I thought you were talking about the Jonathan Richmond song. I mean, okay. that would be really funny too. That's what like, I was picturing. <laughs> that'd be even crazier. Yeah. I'm a little airplane. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like a Tom Waits swing song about sex. I'm your like, ice cream. Uh, any Tom, I ice can't. Cream, man, catch me as I'm stopping him, or stop me as I'm no, swinging by. No Tom Waits for me. No, ever if oh, I can no. help it. Really, really. And Maybe oh, I just God, haven't boy. given it a chance. I don't know. Oh, I was almost. I that's probably going to be one of my next ones. This good. I want to do Tom Waits. I'm shocked, Dana. There's going to be some Tom Waits. I feel like you'll really enjoy. Maybe, yeah. You know, I think there's just something about his whole the me the whole act of it, like just turns me off you know guys in high school or whatever who like were like oh that's my guy i'm i'm good on that but i'd love to be i'd love to be enlightened really because that's a huge gap for me i do love uh, tom waits talking about his wife where he used to like smoke and drink constantly and then she was like this is ruining your life and he was like well i have to do this how else am i going to write this music and she was like you can just think about it and he was like all right and now he's like his wife convincing him to be like you don't have to just drink to sing songs about drinking you can just talk about it too just use your imagination tom yeah. no and i i mean okay never mind i was gonna go on a whole tangent about how cool his wife is but we if we end up doing a tom waits album we'll save it, it. yeah we'll save it but yeah um, he, so, okay. she definitely saved his music <laughs> the tension and the the tension right now of like holding back from this tom waits rant is palpable even digitally uh <laughs> but so i'm gonna i'm gonna veer us back to coltrane i'm gonna get this coltrane back on the tracks 
I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Uh, All right, I'll just leave. I'm so sorry. Okay, okay, get the get it on the tracks. So after I got Coltrane, uh, my favorite things was like my favorite John Coltrane track for a long time. Big fan of that jam. I used to love to get drunk and put on that uh, the album with my favorite things on it. So working at the record store, seeing this out, like it, it has one of those covers that you have to look at it for a minute if you pass by it, you know? World Galaxy. World Galaxy, yeah. Yeah, the Peter Max cover is pretty special. And it's Peter Max. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So coming across this album, seeing that it was... I didn't know who I didn't know Alice Coltrane at all at the time. Seeing that name, seeing it started my favorite things, I was like, "Well, I have to hear whatever this is." And <laughs> this is probably the first time I've heard this album in like maybe five years. Wow, that's an interesting jumping-off point. That I started with um, Journey into Satchananda. And that's where I feel like a lot of people start with Alice Coltrane. And I specifically didn't pick that one because it's kind of like my, you know, perception of it anyway, is it's like the entry level um, Coltrane record. And maybe that's just because that one was always really cheap. Like the reissue of it was like 15 bucks or something. And uh, so it would be one, and it was in print. Um, and it's a record that like really touched me. So like when I was working at uh, the record store, you know, that's if if anybody would ask me for like a jazz recommendation, who like if somebody asked, you know, where do I start with jazz? How do I like get into that world? Because there's there's a lot. And if you don't know, you know, obviously like you know Miles Davis and John Coltrane. That's I think there's something like a little more compelling to me about. Alice Coltrane's music, um, especially if you're not somebody who knows a lot about jazz or like hasn't really gotten into it. I think it's just like the sort of more, um, I don't know, like a softer nature in some cases, but, and then it also like goes, you know, totally nuts, like on this album. Um, but it's like, th- there's the Eastern influence of it too, which is like, you know, it, it kind of, it's more than just like, you know, horns and wind and drums you know like a like a normal jazz or you know well, a more it's a think, whole trip I, yeah. yeah and i i think like at least compared to miles and john coltrane um she's not the star of the show like she is the brain behind it but she's fully committed to being like a texture in the overall sound and like it's not just like about look at how good I am at the trumpet or look at right right like it's I don't know how I this is gonna come off as me being a great white male um but it's that kind of it it's that feeling of like uh I don't know how to word the fuck I'm trying to say here that uh a dude playing jazz is like you gotta see how fucking crazy I can make this jazz yeah this album is much more like uh refined and like collected like it's collected and thought out more than john coltrane spitting as hard as he can into a saxophone it is it is about the music and the message and not the performer yeah right definitely and i think that that you know 
that's pretty clear over the course of her her entire career of albums is like there's something more that she's like digging for and um you know her like spiritual journey obviously played like a, a huge role in that um but specifically in this in world galaxy you know it starts with my favorite things which is a john coltrane song or you know not originally but it's in the jazz world it's known as a coltrane song and um i think it's really very cool to like see her you know she lived in her husband's shadow and still does um and you know to start off the I'm album sorry, but the thought of the war between a jazz asshole and a theater ass or like a musical asshole talking about who plays my whose song is my favorite things uh <laughs> i couldn't get that out of my head until we brought it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> As president of the Rogers and Hammerstein fan club, I'm calling <laughs> into the Super Best Friend Music Show for slander. <laughs> I can't believe you think my favorite things is a John Coltrane song. That's fucking sickening. Oscar <laughs> Hammerstein is rolling in his grave <laughs> on you know, rhythm. I've never seen The Sound of Music before in my whole good, life. I guess. You're not missing much at all. I mean, I, I live in Vermont, so it's like just I just yeah, go out right there and there. spin in the fields if I feel like it. I think like yeah, whistling your John Coltrane song. <laughs> 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 I feel like a lot of Rogers and Hammerstein is very dated. Like they are like it's like not totally their fault, but like they did the thing that got repeated so much that it became the cliche. So mm to like hear them it feels very boring i feel like musicals in general are kind of dated i don't agree oh here we go president of the rogers and hammerstein fan club musical hair let me talk about it again (laughs) i did so good last time i really made my point (laughs) clearly no i i don't think that they have to be a lot of them are because it's there's it's like every genre where there's the need to like appeal to the traditionalists versus mm-hmm. doing something new but whatever the point I being that it, the movie is okay like it's fine like it's because julie andrews is so good in it but like the movie itself is just fine it's like a great performance yeah i'm sure i mean i would like to watch it at some point but also it's, it might be too late i don't know if i need to i was all it always bothered like if you have like two weeks off in the summer and then you can take some mushrooms one day well like take some mushrooms a couple of days <laughs> take one of those that. like take one of those days and watch the sound of music on mushrooms then like, it would probably be worth it that yeah, i could I, do yeah i think you will not like you won't be like i didn't like that you'll, but you'll be like hmm, i get why people like that in the 60s like that'll be like yeah, i get why right. this blues people's minds then Right. I think you would. You'll do one of these, and then you'll take out your gun and you'll shoot your DVD player. <laughs> this show ain't no good. <laughs> I also bo- always bothered me about this song, but like the example of bad things that can happen are like when the dog bites and when the bee stings. But it is set during the Holocaust. It's like these aren't the most pressing concerns in the world. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think I could. Th- few. 
I can think of something. <laughs> I can think of something happening in the world more pressing than a dog bite. <laughs> Peter. <Or> a bee <laughs> I don't know if Peter Von Trapp saying it. But the only Von Trapp I could name. Um, tune in next week for our talk on Hamilton. Discuss all of Joe's favorite musicals. I I'm indifferent to Hamilton. You I don't dislike Hamilton. You can tell. Dana just bringing out the easy the easy firing for shitting on musicals. <laughs> Have you ever seen Evil Dead the musical? That's a great musical. Oh my god, I think we saw that live together. Maybe? Uh oh, did, did we? we? Oh no, we did. And Lynn? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Whoo, whoops, sorry, we'll cut that out. <laughs> Remember Evil Dead the musical? You liked that when we saw sure it together do. in 2013 and you wore your glasses so you could see everything. <laughs> That's right. That's right. How could I forget? I guess really I just like hair. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really like that musical. Or Hedwig. Hedwig's awesome. Actually, the music's really good for that. Have you ever seen Hedwig, Dana? No, I haven't. Meanwhile, oh, that... Let do that for an album. That's one of my favorites. That one's really good. I saw it. Have you? Oh, all right, I don't want to go on a big tangent. Alan, we saw it together in 2013. <laughs> I wore my special musical glasses. <laughs> the ones you love to draw. <laughs> Where they okay. redid that soundtrack with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, I saw it twice on Broadway. No shit. Once with Neil Patrick Harris and once with John Cameron Mitchell, who oh, had sorry. broken his, who he was the original writer of Hedwig back in the 90s. And he had broken his leg during rehearsals. So they did a bunch of rewrites to make it so that Hedwig had a broken leg. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. So, World Galaxy. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so you guys have both, I guess, so you have heard this before just this week uh except you haven't joe um <laughs> 30 no 66 percent of us um so this this is actually okay what number i i'm gonna say like maybe 10 uh or nine or ten of um alice coltrane's uh solo albums that she well not solo but you know her her albums that she put out as the head of um of the crew or she her arrangements um but but it's got a pretty stacked lineup um so you have alice she obviously she's a piano player and a harp player uh organ player she plays tempura and uh, some percussion which i guess no tempura is not percussion it's a big stringy indian instrument Droney instrument. Um, so yeah, she, she does a lot on this album. We have Frank Lowe, um, who plays the saxophone and he played with Sun Ra and Alice Coltrane. Um, and he was, he moved to New York from God, Iowa or something, I think. And he, um, he never really had like, he sort of just went from like amateur to like all of a sudden playing with Sun Ra and, uh, and Alice. And he's like, you know, he, he does some pretty far out sounds on this album that are pretty distinct and you hear him and it's like, oh yeah, this guy like definitely would play in Sun Ra's band. Um, he's on Don Cherry's Brown Rice, which is another great album mm. I love to talk about sometime. Um, and he had a pretty full career up until he died in 2003. Um, we have Leroy Jenkins on violin, which I think we already made the joke last time about 
Well, I, it was not intentional. I didn't know it was a real person. <laughs> yeah, it's a real so that person. Blew my mind. Not the I meme. I thought it was based on Black Knight, not D and D. Black Knight, what's that? The Martin Lawrence, Lawrence. movie. Oh. I found out why it's an old "You're the Man Now" dog meme. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's why how I, I knew that. it. Um, but Leroy Jenkins on violin. I think he there's like a huge, huge string section on this album. Um, like I said earlier, it's a 15 piece string orchestra, and I'm assuming he just leads this. But there's, uh, I think it's in Galaxy and Satcha Dananda that he um, has like a cool little violin solo, or it might be his, on Love Supreme. His solo is really awesome. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty stellar. Um, yeah, they they're all hits on this. Yeah, it's a it, it is definitely an all killer no filler album. All killer no filler, definitely. Um, we have Reggie Workman on bass, um, who is awesome in my favorite things um he played he's i think he's the only musician don't quote me but i think he's the only musician on this album other than alice who also played with john coltrane who's in his band for a while and um played with john and alice together on that live at the village vanguard uh, then we have ben riley on drums um mostly known for his work with Thelonious monk and some with alice something i was pretty uh, interested to learn uh, in regards to the lineup for this album is a woman by the name of Elaine Jones who played the timpani. Um, she was the first black person, male or female, according to my research, that to play in an operatic orchestra in New York. That's and, super um, cool. Yeah, right. Uh, and only one of two women who would play regularly at the New York Opera Symphony or whatever. Um, that's so, not what you have in the notes say it how you have it in the notes no <laughs> one of only two women in the pit that night <laughs> what night get the I fuck don't in know. the pit get <laughs> let's open up this motherfucking pit there's only one of two there's only two women in here and I'm one and two of them. <laughs> it, yeah. it puts the lotion on itself and it plays the timpani in the pit it puts oh the lotion God. in the basket then it gets in the pit I was thinking like a mosh pit. Joe went oh. straight for Silence of the Lambs. Pit. That's the first pit I think of. That was the whole. I just, I went, damn, Joe. Joe, so you're supposed he, to be the ska guy. Yeah, no, I bet in mosh pits doing goofy dancing. <laughs> Warp Tour 2004. I Anytime you hear in the pit, tour. that's all I can think of is the real big fish song. Anyways. You don't know real big fish songs, Joe, and you never will. I only know the real big fish songs that are in uh, Basketball. That, that is a good one, though. <laughs> I actually think I saw Real Big Fish at Warp Tour. No joke. If they oh. played in 2006, I definitely saw them, and I was definitely in that pit. I mean, if you're Were at you a Warp Tour, one of only two women in the pit that night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of only two women in the pit, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um but she so uh, elaine jones she um i was just like so interested to learn just about you know first of all she's the only other woman playing on this album with alice she's a black woman that's pretty amazing but the fact that she was such like a historical figure and there's actually some um documentary that's that's being made about her life and her work uh, in production so keep an eye out for that i definitely will be um, but she's credited on uh, Coltrane albums, Alice Coltrane, 
and possibly John, I just said Coltrane's, that might get a little confusing as we go through these notes here. Um, but she also played a lot with Moondog, um, which if you guys don't know Moondog, we're gonna definitely talk about Moondog uh, and uh, Duke Ellington. Um, and then the final credit on this album um, is uh, Swami Satchidananda Saraswati. Uh, and he's the Woodstock guru. So I don't know if you guys have seen the movie like about Woodstock, but it he he basically opens the festival. He like sits there and um, yeah, I have a little clip we can actually. This is the Dimitri Martin movie. No, <laughs> no, it's about Thank the. You. Um, Thank you. The the you know that big festival that happened or whatever. Based on the Dimitri Martin film. Based on the Dimitri Martin film, of course. Oh, Creedence Clearwater just released their full set of Woodstock as a CD. Oh, that's sick. Weren't they like not in the documentary? Yes. That's Uh, like the thing that that, like people were like, oh, they weren't there. They're like, oh, we swear. There was, (laughs) yeah, dude. It's Grateful Dead, too. It's fucking incredible. I love Creedence Clearwater so much. I know Uh, you do. One of the albums we'll be doing will be them live in Europe. Oh, fuck yeah, Can you guys hear this? Barely. No. It's very quiet. I guess mm-hmm. I didn't think I knew Moondog, but apparently he's on the Big Lebowski soundtrack. Yeah. Well, we, this is actually really interesting, but it is interesting that this was the guy um, who, you know, he came over to America to, like, introduce Woodstock. It was, like, you know, part of this whole, like, Eastern sort of spiritual movement that was happening. Um, and funny enough, Peter Max, who you would definitely recognize his artwork if you're not familiar with it, but he, he does the artwork for um, World Galaxy. And he was like the, the guy who recommended um, that this Swami Sachindadanda, I'm gonna fuck up so much of this pronunciation, so just roll with it. Um, he was the one who, who recommended that this guy would uh, open up Woodstock Festival. There's that dude, and this guy, that Coltrane, guy. Coltrane too. <laughs> boy, boy Coltrane and girl Coltrane. Um, so those are the players that we have on this album. It's pretty stacked. Like all the the album, like New York was just like incest still at the time. Like it was just people, everybody's playing on each other's albums and everybody's flipping <laughs> albums for heroin. <laughs> just letting that sit there all right home of the day my kids are playing on each other's albums oh i said what is this 1970s new york <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't let me find your stash um so that yeah so this Sorry. one was recorded oh just picturing on. like like porn hub stepbrother plays on sister's album <laughs> <laughs> drops hot solo porn hub stepbrother porn stuck hub. in 1972 <laughs> i'll show Why you some of my favorite thing? things what <laughs> i no, i said why is that you know what never mind we don't have to go into that it's a whole different podcast yeah but Super why is it everyone getting stuck in stuff now is that a thing oh yeah stepmother stuck behind the couch steps stuck underneath the bed what yeah of- i don't know it's like a weird fantasy that well you know stepmother. like porn is just like a refraction of our 
collective anxiety, man. So it's like we're all stuck in the house. Uh, that's so exactly what I was thinking. Get stuck in the house, and then we fuck our way out of it because that's like <laughs> the only way, man. I'm so unhappy right now. <laughs> And it's not that I'm mad at Joe. It's that I'm mad at, like, is that truth? Is that, so I'll fucking... never tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like be. the Rumpelstiltskin of Pornhub. <laughs> well, it's like, have you ever seen, like, there's quicksand porn? Like, that's bizarre. Oh, my God. Oh, my parents want to listen to this podcast and I have to tell them <laughs> Sorry, guys. Basically, a podcast about them and about porn at this yeah. time. They're two <laughs> favorite <some> fillers. <laughs> if you're so anyways, stuck at this home... guy got stuck behind the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's why he opened Woodstock. He was just stuck behind the couch. Like, I guess we, we gotta let him. <laughs> we gotta let him do it. He's not gonna leave Who is this guy? Peter Max is like, he's good for it. I know this guy. He's legit. <laughs> How do you get stuck back there, Peter? I'll never tell. <laughs> I'll never tell. Pops away. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, this one, this album was recorded in 1971, oh. released in 1972. Um. What's that we That's should give we give yeah i do just real quick before we get in <laughs> we are recording this at night again and last time <laughs> we did this we did give a warning and it this did happen i feel like we give a warning every time yeah, well we didn't this time this is okay cool. this is super best friend music show after dark after dark uh <laughs> where joe gets drunk and we all get horny <laughs> Yikes! Three percent of us. Hold on, let me close these tabs. Don't look. Oh no, it's all. It's all. It's let me close all these tabs. Corn. <laughs> I just have a bunch of tabs of how to get stuck behind a couch. <laughs> My dad does uh, like famously hate a love supreme and calls it masturbatory all the time so it's kind of what does he think of alice's love hair supreme? With jazz in general i've never yeah, right well that's the funny thing is he does love jazz he just and like he likes john coltrane on miles albums when they were a quartet but he doesn't like and i don't understand he's just he's an odd man he gets like he made up his mind in the '60s and then refused to change it. Like, like when he first That's heard it. It sounds like we yeah, should right. have him as a guest on the podcast at some point. I think he probably would like it, but oh, also we totally hate it. Should. <laughs> I'm I'm so down. If we ever talk about some like I don't know private press folk. Oh, if we talk about the band, he actually knew them pretty well. Oh my god, really? Yeah, That's except cool. for Robbie. Like when they when Robbie Robertson like broke up the band the rest of the band kept playing and his friend was like a guitarist who was very close with them so he, he knew them pretty well that's pretty wow. cool <clears throat> he's a weird guy he's he's like had the most forest gump life of anyone that has an average iq <laughs> <laughs> is that what they told you joe <laughs> i may not be a smart man <laughs> Uh, I don't know what, oh. back to alice um 
So born Alice McLeod in Detroit, born in 1937, she started as a church organist, um, moved to Paris in 1959 and studied under Bud Powell, who's a pretty famous pianist, um, where she got married to a guy named Kenny Poncho. Sorry. <laughs> it just sounds like a make, like it sounds like a, like a low tier villain like i'm like like a like a, a street guy on the sopranos like oh you gotta deal with kenny poncho <laughs> <laughs> he was that guy though well oh. maybe maybe he was he did have a, a heroin addiction that ended their marriage so I mean, he, he was, was christopher oh don't spoil it just kidding i just finished the sixth season or half of it whichever one's the last season yeah Things with Christopher aren't looking good. I'm praying for that boy. Mm. I'm like 20 years too late for this. <clears throat> anyway, they had a kid together um, with uh, Alice and, and Pancho, um, but they had to get a divorce because of the heroin thing. And then she moved back to Detroit <clears throat> where she met John uh, in 1963. And then they were married shortly after in 1965. There's some very sweet footage of them like playing together in these early years and they're just very much in love and they had a pretty, it seemed like they had a pretty rock solid thing. She was pretty fucked up after he died, um, which was in 1967. Um, and at some point actually she replaced McCoy Tyner as John's pianist in, in his mm. band, which I was, I didn't know that little known fact. So John dies in 1967, um, and that is sort of like a turning point for Alice, obviously. There, you know, if you listen to, to John's music and her music up until that point, there's very much like, you know, there's a leaning of uh, sort of like a deeper spiritual meaning that they're trying to uncover. And I guess that was just like a lot of uh, free jazz at the time and even still today. It's like it's very rooted in sort of like a, a religious or spiritual um, exploration but in the late 1960s, Alice um, becomes a full-on devotee uh, to this Swami Sachidananda. And, um, you know, she had a pretty busy life after John's death. She was uh, overseeing the posthumous releases of his music. She was raising the kids. Um, and she also launched this, like, pretty incredible solo career, which is, you know, all the albums that we have most of them now are, are, were released after John's death. Um, so that starts with the monastic trio, which I thought about doing, but it's not my favorite of hers. Um, but between 68 and 77, she releases 13 full length records. Yeah, she, yeah she, was, she was a busy lady. Um, there's this incredible documentary and I should have sent it to you guys. It's only 15 minutes long. It just came out or it was recorded um, in like probably the 80s, maybe even earlier than that. Um, but it's just sort of like these interviews with Alice and it's like all this amazing footage of like their home and all the kids running around. And uh, it's really interesting just to sort of see her talk about what was going on like with her life. And, you know, she had this really like intense um transformation after John's death where she you know she started getting really into um you know meditation and uh, you know she was fasting and praying 
she she traveled to India at some point and that's kind of when that switch was like fully flipped and she's like now it's you know I have this divine call to God's service so you can really see where her music starts to shift forward and that's like what I was saying earlier like World Galaxy uh, is definitely like right at sort of the tail end I would say of her like you know I don't want to say like interest in jazz but like a more traditional jazz and sort of leaning more towards this uh, spiritual focus. <clears throat> so she changed her name actually, and this is, I think this is after the album actually came out, um, but she changes her name to Taria Sachinadananda. Sachina Nadananda. Taria, I'm just gonna call her Taria Alice Coltrane. Um, with, and she like devoted her life to Vedic Hinduism, which is like, I researched a lot about Hinduism over the past week because I don't really know all too much about it, but I wanted to be able to speak on it a little bit because it's like such a huge aspect of her work and uh, her music um, and even, you know, her work outside of her music. Um, and I guess uh, Vedic Hinduism is it's just like a facet of Hinduism where it's like dedicated to this, these Vedic scriptures, which are uh, in Sanskrit and then Sanskrit. And one of the, it's like the oldest, the very oldest layer of Hinduism. <clears throat> so let's talk about the music a little bit. And we already have talked about the opening, which is my favorite things, which we all know to be the Rodgers and Hammerstein classic. Excuse me, that's a John Coltrane song. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a teacher. teacher. <laughs> Damn, I got the artist wrong again. Oh no. There's no the teacher, winning. Teacher, yeah. She can't win. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Dana insist on playing a game? <laughs> My corn tabs never talk back to me like this. <laughs> Um, it's a really intense and beautiful way to open up the album because she lived so much of her life in sort of battling this, you know, I mean, John Coltrane mm -hmm. is one of the, the most household names in jazz that there ever has been and likely ever will be. And I would say my favorite things is like probably his most favorite song. And to open up your album with your husband, your recently deceased husband's like you know opus song is a pretty bold move cover opus. of what cover opus cover opus, <laughs> right of course as we all know <laughs> such an unnecessary dick move <laughs> um yeah, so barry bonds gets an asterisk so <laughs> culture <laughs> <laughs> I love that bass solo so much. Uh, she's like immediately when this kicks off, because you know you're obviously going to be familiar with the uh, Coltrane version of it. Just like the immediate way they play my favorite, she plays my favorite things up top. That riff is just so good. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot going on in this one, and it's it's a far more interesting take 
for me anyway, like between the two, I just think that uh, obviously John's, I mean, I just prefer well, this it's, arrangement. It's, it, it, I don't know if it could, like it couldn't happen without, I don't think it would feel the same without John's. No, definitely it's not. It's like more of like a sequel to it because it feels like it starts with that. It, it's almost like, it's almost like a dub, like, but like not with a reggae beat. It just like That's sounds nice thing. It sounds like you took it and mutated it. Like, yeah. You, like, well, it kind of sounds like that's what he did to my yeah. favorite things to begin with. He right. kind of took that, the melody of, of it and, and just explored it heavily with his, on his own performance. And then it's as if she's kind of taken that performance and tucked it away and then explored the world around that. And then it gets sucked into a black hole. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, it, it starts with just my favorite things and then it just, it almost sounds like it does, like it, it sounds like it gets sucked into a, a goddamn black hole. It God, totally God, does. Goddamn black hole. <laughs> I really love. There's like this like whirling sound that mm. she somehow does. I don't know if it's like synthesizers or what it is exactly, but it, you can really hear it when you listen to it with headphones mm. more clearly. Yeah. When, when you guys listen to an album for the first time, like the way you've been doing for this show, how have you been doing it? Uh, almost always with headphones. I don't. I should. Really? What do you do? You just play like through the speakers on the computer? Yeah. I think I did listen to. I think like um, if it's an album I've already heard, I might play it like over my phone or my girlfriend. Uh, this is that whirling sound that I was talking about. <laughs> but I just love that like. As an album opener, like it gets like really like hard to listen to at points, but then like you come out the other end into like one of like yeah, like the most beautiful bass solos. Like it's always like the tension of like the chaos with a very beautiful thing follows it, and that that kind of goes through like the whole album, like sandwiched between these like reimagining yeah. of her husband's songs is this Absolutely. very beautiful. Absolutely. And I think I think that's all very intentional because the more that I was reading about this, you know, the, the titles or the tracks here. So we start with my favorite things and then it's something called Galaxy around Olu Damare and then Galaxy in Turiya and then Galaxy in Sachidananda. And as I was reading more about what these words actually mean in Sanskrit, it's all like it's it all goes along with just that sort of like an internal baseline for bliss that is always there and if you i assume you know the the idea here is that with meditation and uh, spirituality you can always find that even amongst the chaos of you know everything so it starts like you have my favorite things and then it's john and then it ends with john but in the middle there's like all of this like you know craziness but it all sort of always flows back into this like very beautiful harmonic string orchestra that like ties it all back together and that was something that you know i i had never looked into like what olu damare was or or Turiya meant or such a demanda which you know that's on me um for just being like i like the sound of this music i don't really care about what it means necessarily 
But uh, yeah, it's it's very much a theme that that holds on through the whole album. So we can we'll take it down to uh, to Galaxy in Olu Damare, which is the next track on this one. It's such an intense and like complex composition that it's just so hard to fathom a group of human beings performing this. Right. Yeah, and this is all like, you know, Alice's uh, uh, compositions, like all, all her arrangements and everything. Mm. And like, you know, she was going through it at this point, you know, there like she was spending a lot of time in isolation. She wasn't eating. She like lost a ton of weight. She, you know, I don't really know about her life in regards to like a, any drugs, but I know that it was a huge issue in the scene at the time. Mm. Um, and you see like videos of her from that time, interviews, which are few and far between, but the ones you do, I mean, she's either blissed out on some meditation I can't even fathom or on some kind of drug that's really doing its job. <laughs> blissed out on something. She's blissed out, that's for sure. Um, so this one's another one that, you know, starts very pretty with the orchestral strings. You have your synths, sort of ominous. And like you said, Joe, this is like the whole album's very um, cinematic. And uh, this one is no different. Um, you have some awesome work from Frank Lowe on this one. Uh, so Olu Damare, also known as Oleron, is one of the... Hi, Frank. <laughs> Also known as uh, Oleron, is one of the manifestations of the supreme creator and god in the Yoruba religion, which I, I hadn't really heard of uh, Yoruba before as a religion or even as a people. So that just shows how uneducated I am. Um, but uh, Yoruba uh, people make up about 13% of Nigeria's population. And uh, it's the traditional um, religion of those people. Uh, the Yoruba believe that Oludamare is the omnipotent and source of all, so it's a, it symbolizes a divine entity that has no father or mother and that simultaneously is and is not bound by space, time, and dimension. And I only mention that because I really do think that it's pretty important to sort of realize like some of the context that that these songs are coming out of. You know, it's not just beautiful. Uh, compositions and arrangements that like you know make you think and feel and it's like that you know story arc obviously within it it's like there's something very deeply spiritual going on here for for Alice uh, and I'm actually going to play a little clip from that documentary that I mentioned earlier just because I got it queued up right here so this this is the um that I think it's a Smithsonian um documentary and here we have, it's just like, it's what, 20 minutes long maybe. Um, and I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in, in Alice Coltrane's life and her music. Um, but here we're gonna listen to her just talk about her relationship with the instruments on this, uh, well, not necessarily this album, but it was in 1970, yeah. so. Same but I've studied time. organ in theory, harmony. The first practice on harp was done around about 1965. 
Maybe it's the way, it's because I know uh, the instrument is, is of uh, Egyptian origin. But uh, when I play it, I don't know, maybe the flowingness of it or the, the way it's so uh, harmonically and uh, melodically set, so different from uh, the piano, uh, for example. It makes me recall Egypt, ancient Egypt. It makes me seem to remember that, that, that I have a past or a history there somewhere. Yeah, so she's like, you know, really getting into to some deep spiritual past life shit. And I think that, you know, this um, Olu Damare and uh, this Yoruba religion, even though she was born in Detroit, lived in Paris, you know, she's, but she's like finding something in this music, in her like spiritual journey that's, you know, taking her to, you know, her ancestral roots, I think that... I was really um, pleased to like sort of discover that about this while, just while I was doing the research on it. So then it goes into Galaxy into Galaxy in Turia, um, which she ended up taking that name at some point, Turia. Oh, a nice fade in. Or maybe actually, let's go back. Let's go back to Oludemare and just hear that outro into the strings in Interior. It's so seamless. Like, do you were you able to find much about like the composition? Because it is such a. It really does feel like the whole album is one piece. Yeah, definitely. No, I wish I wish that I I had been able to find a little more about it, but um, I was kind of surprised because she like holds such a, a you know a position on my shelf like right at the top. I was kind of surprised at how little there actually was written about her. Like I want like a full length documentary none of this 20 minute thing i want documentaries and i want biographies maybe they're out there i just haven't read them but there's there's a lot to unpack here um and i've i've always known her as like a harp player first and i think that's because the first album of hers that i heard is a journey into Sachidananda, which is very harp heavy and very um what's that instrument ten Tempura heavy, very um, Eastern influenced. This one gets me every time. It's just like, it's so beautiful. There's so much going on. It's, if, I don't know, it's gonna sound really dorky, but it's just always, really cool when someone is able to like really tell it it really feels like this album is telling a story without any words like yeah really really pulls you along right it feels like the score of a movie but not that but a movie without a movie like it doesn't feel like it's missing any aspect of it yeah Yeah. it feels like it's the score to something that doesn't need to be there yeah definitely I mean, it's like I've, the, it's the score to her, her life. 
<laughs> we all clearly smoke weed. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh oh. I'm out. <laughs> You're under arrest. This whole podcast. It was a sting. <laughs> you got me. Um, a little context for the this meaning of so uh, Turiya. In, in Hindu philosophy, Turiya, meaning the fourth, is pure consciousness. So Turiya is the background that underlines and pervades the three common states of consciousness in Hinduism, which are the waking state, the dreaming state, and the dreamless deep sleep. And so, I mean, I, I'm taking that as Turiya is the fourth, which is some kind of, you know, uh, enlightened bliss that you find with meditation. It definitely feels like that in this in this uh, sequence of of songs, these galaxy songs. Mm. Maybe that's why this one always makes me cry, is because it sounds like a very meaningful moment in a movie that I haven't seen. to her shred the harp just endlessly uh the first time i went we like when I, I went to listen to this for this episode i ended up listening to it three times in a row it was like the second time through i was like oh my god wait a second i was like uh <laughs> i think i've been sitting here for an hour <laughs> I don't understand how the harp works. Like, like there's, there's other instruments where, like, I kind of know how you can play them, but like, to play the harp, even traditionally, is beyond my knowledge. And then to do really like experimental harp playing, I thought, like, I it's just beyond what I can compute. Right. I'm curious, Joe. You mentioned earlier you said you were listening to some like experimental harp players oh yeah have you ever heard mary Lattimore? oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, she, yeah. I, i've been really um like when i'm stressed about work i'll just like put on her harp music and it's very calming and then i i'm actually blanking on their name there's like a husband and wife bass and harp team that put out like yeah. a whole album of like jazz uh kind of like and they were ones that were like obviously citing Alice because the wife is like a contemporary jazz harpist. Yeah. But I'll try to find their name, but yeah. I blanked. I feel like it's um. I actually saw an article in fucking Pitchfork or something the other day. Maybe you saw it, Joe, when you were doing your Pitchfork and Poo in the morning. It was like the yeah. harp is making a comeback. Like this, you know, ancient mm. instrument is like cool again. Which, I mean, we can probably, I'm gonna go ahead and thank Alice for it. We can thank Joanna Newsom too, or whatever, but. Yeah. I think it's probably just that um, it's 
not like a thing that I there's a big cost barrier to learning the hard. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm always like, looking for ones on the side of the road, but I never see them. And I don't, and I think as a rule, rich people don't make as good music. That if is true. Are, if they're already rich to start That's with. That's absolutely true. Are, are there good rich people music? Probably, but I don't know. There's a lot of people that are like secret. Not on this podcast, there isn't. You know, for people's podcast. Oh, like Kid Rock. Mark <laughs> <laughs> you knew that, right? We talked about that. I was like, I think we did. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's like a fake. He's like he's a fake. Yeah. He, he's not even really a kid or a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. I feel like that same thing it was said last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the husband and wife, it's uh, Desrin Douglas on bass and Brandy Younger. younger. Hmm. They, they had an album of all things they recorded during quarantine called Force Majeure. Hmm. It's, it's really nice. It's just very pleasant. Force Majeure. That's what does that mean? I feel like uh, I have it, an album. It's like it means else. like act of God. Uh, it's, oh, like yeah. a, it's like an insurance term. There's a really good. There's <laughs> That's like how a, I know it. Insurance. <laughs> there's like a really good um, Finnish cringe comedy called Force Majeure. I think it's a Finnish guy. Where it's Maybe like that's a, it. It's like a husband. It's like this family's out skiing, and the, there's a fake avalanche, and the husband runs away without saving the family. And then like <laughs> the that's like in the first twenty minutes, and the rest of the movie is them dealing with like. <laughs> just like left the family and him trying to act like he's still a good guy isn't that a recent movie too they remade it with will ferrell oh okay there we go and tina fey maybe i don't know yeah that's a pretty cool end to that galaxy in korea Okay, and then Galaxy and Sachidananda. I'm sorry we're just like listening to the whole album. It's like, it feels, I can't force my hand to pause it and turn it down. Well, you know what? As long as it holds up in court. (laughs) I mean, it is harder, like, it's harder to talk about it without hearing it. Right. Than like an album with lyrics. Right. This one, Galaxy and Sachidananda is definitely like a nod to her her album, um, Journey and Such as Ananda with Pharaoh Sanders, which, like I said, it was a toss up between talking about that one and talking about this one. And I thought, I thought the other one was going to be too easy. It's like the same as, you know, why you, you chose Love is Overtaking Me mm. for Arthur Russell instead of uh, World of Echo or World Calling Echo. Out of Context. I didn't want to do that. I was like calling out of context, but I got them confused last episode. So. But anyway, this is, um, yeah, Sachidananda, just for some more education, uh, represents existence, consciousness, and bliss, truth, consciousness, bliss. It's an epithet that, and description for the subjective experience of the ultimate unchanging reality. So that's like, you know, I feel like that's the main sort of line that connects all of this stuff is like there's something underneath there that you can get to it doesn't matter what kind of like you know jazz freakouts are are happening in your like first level of consciousness 
there's something underneath that you can get to where it's oh. all it's all gravy. Baby. Jazz gravy would be a good album name. That's a great album name. Man, I or like a great Zappa so cover band. Into this fucking song while you guys were talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I. <laughs> uh, Ellen's packed six bowls since we started the podcast. Yo. And eating two roast beef sandwiches. Here's the thing, man. Is we listened to that reggae album, and I was like, I gotta try this ganja. They're always. <laughs> uh, and then you know, and now I got into this ganja. And now you're talking about all this jazz, and I was like, I gotta try all the ganja they're talking about. <laughs> uh oh, that's heroin, bud. <laughs> that's not shoot up ganja. <laughs> you don't want any part of this, do we? <laughs> <laughs> You want the shoot 'em up ganja? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Your Honor, I did not know we would be talking about shoot 'em up ganja. <laughs> not affiliated. Oh, we won't listen to all of such a Dananda. It is just so hypnotizing. Beautiful. It is hypnotizing. Oh, until this part where it gets fucking nuts. But every Ooh, moment of. Every moment of chaos is surrounded by like such beauty. Mm-hmm. I really love that tempura, that droney, uh, stringy thing that sort of sounds like a sitar. That's a tempura. I love it. Although, <laughs> when I was doing this research, I found a video, uh, on it because I was trying to figure out what that sound was because I recognized it from Journey into Sachidananda but I didn't know what was making it. I'm like, it can't be a sitar, like it does sound like one, but so I looked up to see exactly what it was and I found this video from the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City and it's like tempura demonstration video and it's 40 seconds long and it's like a white guy who looks like he like auditioned to be an animal collective and he didn't make the cut. <laughs> and he's like all decked out in like this traditional Indian garb. And it's just 40 seconds of him. And he just like plucks a few strings. And I'm like, you're the Met in New York City. You couldn't find one Indian person to like demonstrate this traditional Indian instrument. Fuck do I know? They were all booked. They were <laughs> every single one. All we could get was uh, Jason's kid, Tony. <laughs> we had to get Jerry. He was cousin. very available. <laughs> he was incredibly not in demand. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how not in demand this guy was. He had he no idea how free this guy was. <laughs> we had to reschedule the event six times. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> he said, just call me on the day. That's like us trying to schedule this podcast, though. It's like anytime's fine. Anytime we feel like it is good. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's the day, sometimes it's the night. Depends how horny we want to get. <laughs> how horny, drunk, and jazzed up, and pull that shoot 'em up ganja. That's uh, it. We have to do it. Oh, I just pulled the trigger and went straight into a love supreme. Which we'll listen to the little intro here um, from Swami uh, Sachidananda. It's interesting for oops for her to like be like I'm gonna do Love Supreme, but this is how we're gonna do it. Yeah. 
kind of cool because I looked it up this this afternoon. I was wondering if what um, the Swami was saying was because um, I knew the original um, psalm by Coltrane was him trying to play like a devotional poem on the saxophone. So I was wondering, and he put the poem in the liner notes. So I was wondering if any of what uh, the guy was saying was from the original poem. And it's not really, and it's but it's kind of cool that it's like it's going from like Christian devotional to Hindu devotional with the music being the constant. Like that music is not tied to a particular religion, but it is tied to like the transcendence. It's very cool. That's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad that you looked into it. I was re-listening to this album today, and I was thinking about. Like just the the generally like the main riff of of a love supreme, mm-hmm. that is the fucking coolest riff, and it's one that I frequently find myself singing randomly to myself for no reason. That, I mean, I, I this album's incredible. The band on the John Coltrane "A Love Supreme" might be one of the all-time tightest bands ever assembled. Yeah, love never expects anything in return. Like, come on, this is the, one of the coolest riffs. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty awesome to, like, hear her kind of repurpose it. And mm. it's like you said, it's like a, like a dub version of it. Or it's like, you know, just a transformation of, not, not exactly a cover, it's a, a reimagining. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, I've heard that song so much, but it's so... It's so iconic. I don't think I've ever really heard someone mess with it. So then to hear yeah. her mess with it in a really cool, and like just again to like, it makes you appreciate the riff more almost to like hear it in a new context. And it's like, oh, this is so cool and propulsive, and it really does fit in in this very different thing. Yeah, <laughs> and this like, is her playing this organ. Really? Which... Oh, sorry. I just saw like a random YouTube cop. I, like before I had the album, I just listened to it on YouTube. One of the comments was like, oh, it's like she invented drum and bass. I saw that too. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like it really is very like, I was kind of shocked that this was 71. I know that there, it makes you appreciate that like there was really cool jazz going on. I just wasn't in the main, main street because it feels like it would not be out of place now right i actually feel like 1971's kind of a little bit late in for for jazz like jazz was cool before rock was cool well i think by I a think, large margin i think that's why like there there still was very cool jazz but it was it was not the right. popular music so yeah it gets, right. like ornette and sunra are doing very cool things in the 70s but it's real overshadowed by definitely rock and roll for sure. Yeah, and the closest you'll get is like Mahavishnu Orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Some like big fusion kind of project. Oh, I do love fusion. Or Zappa. Yeah, well, Miles oh. put out a bunch. <laughs> I had... And like, let's not, sorry, let's not forget like the influence of LSD on everybody. Yeah. At, at the time. I, I don't think, I, I don't really hear too many or read about too many jazz musicians specifically citing LSD in the same way that you hear rock is like 
you know, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, High Asher. It was like, we were all on acid and that's why we made cool music. It's like Bridge the jazz, jazz people had already moved on. Like we were doing yeah. acid in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? I, I think about it every now and then. But like the way acid came to be is so fucking crazy. God's divine hands uh, with leading Albert Hoffman. I think Hoffman. Yeah, he invented. Wait. I meant more just the government experiments. Oh. Yeah, like trying to use it as a truth serum. Yeah, and then like taking it from the government and giving it to people. Well. Oh, I, yeah, I was thinking just about how, like, the guy who, yeah, Albert Hoffman, he just sort of, like, accidentally made LSD, and then oh. he, uh, he, like, got it all over his hands or whatever, and then he's take, he bikes home, and he has, like, the, the acid trip, and he's like, what have I invented, and it, that's why, it's that 420, aka, or no, it's the 19th, actually. Uh, April 19th is Bicycle Day, which is like sort of a anniversary of the um, synthesizing of LSD and where he, you know, realized like what he created and had this like incredible acid trip. I'm a big fan of acid if you guys haven't caught on to that yet. I did, well, I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know, I, did, I knew that, I didn't know about Bicycle Day. Mm, yeah, so I've, take some time on the 19th of April eight to 12 hours or however long. Never done. I'll come hang out with acid. I just got the vaccine today. Let's be a nice group activity. I only did acid once and I don't think it was good. I, uh, but yeah. I took like four tabs of acid on Nick Cave. Wow. So, that's a bad was... idea, Alan. Four? Man. You like oh really set yourself up to not That's, succeed. On yeah, acid. what the hell, man? I couldn't Nick sleep Cave. all night. Nick Cave yeah. is great, but not acid music. Uh, I right. threw up at the Orpheum, like in the bathroom oh. before the show. I also like smoked some joints and I think drank some sure. beer. Yeah, um, that's a recipe for disaster. I, I think you only have to learn that lesson night. once. That happens I, to me too, honestly. Colleen and Angela actually drove me home. And huh. Driving on that, well, being on, in a car on the highway was terrifying. <laughs> and then I was trying to go to sleep because I had school in the morning. And uh, every time I closed my eyes, I just saw a tank made of flesh with wheels made of bones while uh, rolling over skeletons. Oh my God. And I couldn't sleep. And then I drove, I drove to my 8 a.m. class and passed out in my car in the parking lot and never made it to class and he dropped me from that class. Oh, no. Okay. And that was the only time I've done acid. Let's well, try again, though, without all those. That was the last time those... I did acid. Yeah. <laughs> the time he, <laughs> that was like, sucks. then the first, that was after like a week long where a friend and I just went to New York and did drugs in a hotel for a week straight. Like that's so, where I would try four tabs of acid. Well, that was the thing is we took a bus to New York when we got to the bus station, we took a cab directly to our hotel. We're like, we're not going to see New York at all until we take this acid. And then we each took two tabs and we just sat in our hotel room and waited for it to go. And by the time it started, by the time it started kicking in, it was nighttime. 
So it was actually the first time I ever saw Times Square. I was tripping balls on wow. acid. Wow. That's scary. Times Square, there's all these weird, like, giant cartoon people. Yeah, but... I've also never been there. So, and, like, I was only 23, and I, was, I don't know. I'm really an idiot. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, so I did that. Just dive in. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. My dad was saying that, like, I like the mushrooms wave. a lot more. I take mushrooms constantly. The like wave of acid, like, cause he was in college when like, he would have been like his freshman year was like 68, 69. So it's like when acid was it's a good time to en start entering the mainstream. Yeah. And he was saying that there was this sense that it was really safe. Like that it could have been invented. It was, and then- Well, it was legal at the time. Yeah, and everyone thought that it was, uh, I mean, I, I think they knew that they were getting high, but they thought it was like a very, a very, um, like almost encouraged, like academic thing. And like, then, uh, like, so he like, just like, like his first time doing acid, he had like real acid and then like thought that's what it was. And then like almost instantly people were like selling like knockoff like oh, yeah. and yeah. he was like I didn't know that was an option like I it was it was a real like innocent era like they just didn't think people would cut drugs lesson learned for your dad yeah. I assume I would do acid again Dana if you'd hang All out right. and do acid with me absolutely also I did like eight years let's do it I took um Psycho... So it took such a turn. It took a... <laughs> just listen to Alice Coltrane and talk about acid. Listen, however you get there, whether it's Swift experimenting with acid or years of uh, devotional meditation, you get there. Okay. Well, I, I love like mushrooms. I like microdosing mushrooms, I think completely changed my life. And the day I, I ate like, an entire eighth of mushrooms. That, that sounds fun. I've already um, told you about that. I don't think so. Oh man, uh, we have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to a friend's barbecue, and I don't drink, so I was like, "Well, I got to do something for the day." And so I had an eighth. That I, it was like two p.m., and I was like, "I'm gonna start eating this now, and I'll just eat it through the day." So I'll just kind of be like a little wonky all night. And I was like eating them like chips on the way up in the car. <sighs> And then I looked down and I'd eaten the entire bag and I was like, oh no. So How I got the hell the... do you prepare your mushrooms that you're able to just eat them like chips? It's like the nastiest taste I can imagine. Uh, well, I would eat like a couple of mushrooms and then a Snickers bite. Oh, hell yeah. There mm -hmm. you go. There you go. Snickers bites are great because they got <laughs> the peanut in them. So it's like a little bit of that crunch, but they all get the mushrooms get stuck in the caramel. So oh. you don't get that weird, like, I feel like anytime you eat anything with mushrooms, there's always the last two bites of just mushroom. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so anyways, I went there and I was like, hey guys, heads up. I just ate too many mushrooms. You have me for about an hour or two, and then I'm going to have to go lay down. And this was like my child, like one of my childhood, like best friends. And so I remember I was looking up at the sky and all the clouds started skipping around and I was like, whoa. What a beautiful trippy day. The clouds were already like flipping around. This is gonna be crazy when the mushrooms kick in. And then I was like, oh, it's happening. Oh. And then I started feeling like I was melting. So I was like, all right, I gotta go inside and get the get go into the air conditioning. I was like,
Oh, I'm not gonna use his name. Okay. <laughs> hey, but hey, pal, can I go into your room and just lay in your bed? I'm like, I'm kind of freaking out with the mushrooms. He's like, dude, absolutely. Now he didn't tell me he had moved his room. So I went to his old bedroom, which was just a bare mattress in the middle of an empty room. And I remember thinking like, damn, this guy's life's gotten crazy. So I just laid down in this room and I had one dream that I was stuck in. I only heard, I just came here in dubstep and everything was in grayscale and it was a nightmare. Whoa. Uh, and then I had a dream where a silhouette of a shaman that was all just fire and the silhouette of a shaman and he took my soul and he melted it down into these little molds and then he threw them all out and he was like, you don't need that anymore. That's all gone. Like, oh, now this is you. And then oh. I left that bed being like, I don't know who the fuck I am. And I had to walk over to a mirror and be like, okay, this Sorry, is-, is that Joe's balls? It's his big hairy shaft. That's just all arm. <laughs> Sorry, Alan, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. It's just a real like crazy life-changing moment that Joe's gonna wave his dick in front of the camera. To <laughs> oh uh, yeah, you know, uh, expanding your consciousness is nice, but if you see my balls, <laughs> <laughs> get your consciousness right here. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah i went to the mirror and i was like i had to Uh-oh. wreck i was like okay so this is who i am i have to figure out who alan richardson is and then i gotta be him and then i had to go into that party i remember like with a mindset of like i gotta figure out who this guy is and live this life now and then it felt as if i was like was put into a different like a person into his new body and That's then I your went, ego um, death, bro. Well, I know, and I've been I've been reading a lot more about ego death because a friend of mine has a podcast where they recently did an episode about mushrooms and ego death. And I was like thinking about it, I was like, man, because like that was 2017. And right before that happened, my band broke up and it was like really heartbreaking for me. And then right after that, one of my uh like one of my close friends killed himself. Oh, and God. so I think that mushroom trip and all those things happening in 2017, like sincerely is what happened to me. <laughs> I guess. Cause then like, I'll, like you can hear a change in my comedy. You can hear like a change in what I've done and how I act. And like, I stopped going. So I think that just like really just changed me, but I went outside and they're like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, how are the mushrooms? And I was like, man, I just had the craziest like four hours of my entire life. And I'll never forget, my friend looked at his watch and he was like, you've been gone about 12 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> you got about six more hours, buddy. Yeah. And then <laughs> before I just- Before you come down. Yeah. So that was like, that, that was a crazy day. So those are my big psychedelic experiences. Whoa. And then there's like been a lot more mushrooms and stuff since then. That's and like beautiful. The winter of 2018 is I microdosed for like two and a half months. And that was that was great. That like that was another big life changer. In 2018, after, I, I grew a bunch of mushrooms. Huh? A certain rude bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's talking that. about Alice Coltrane. <laughs> and that bitch's name, Alice Coltrane. You grew a bunch of mushrooms. Oh uh, yeah, in uh, in t- in 2018, I think actually I started growing um, psychedelic mushrooms, and I 
grew like a shitload of them. And um, I drove around and followed Dead and Company on tour and sold the mushrooms and took a lot of the mushrooms while I was following them around on tour for a couple of weeks. So that's I, incredible. I what a nice like summer. It's been awesome. the best summer, really. It and all incredible. summer since then have just been trying to top that and haven't quite gotten there yet. I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. And this was supposed to be the summer. But or last yes. summer, <laughs> it's true. Well, actually, like f- so for me, like we can cut all this. We should. But yep. F- Fish and Dead and Company toured the same two weeks in New England uh, in 2019 that I was in Europe for two weeks, and so I was like, oh, like bummer. I guess I'll catch him next year, and then next year was 2020, Dana, and I um, certainly didn't. Comedy Bang Bang did the same tour that I did two weeks after me. So I missed every single show of their entire 2019 (laughs) tour. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge bummer. You know what? 2022. Nick Cave was supposed to play at like the BU arena. Yeah. I was going to see that him and like wise it was it was him and wise blood that would have been such a sick concept. i was honestly happy that got canceled i'm sorry to say because i just didn't have money for it and, uh, <laughs> so was, no one could be happy <laughs> yes honestly i've only seen him twice and i'm sick of people getting to see him more than me <laughs> that would have been once for me i drove i once drove all the way to toronto to see nick cave yeah Whoa. Because I didn't see Grinder Man and I'll always regret that. And that other time I saw him, you know, I was only kind of half there. What, uh, what, what's that name of that little club that's like down the street from the Middle East or was? Phoenix Landing? Oh, the, uh, oh, TT, TT the Bears. Oh, oh that's oh, yeah, like that's right not behind anymore, Middle yeah. East. It used to be TT and the Bears. Yes, that's the one. I saw Way's Blood there in like. 2015 or 2016 that was a pretty amazing show yeah he's so like, cool redid it. and now in this it's like sonia's sonia's i think but now her it's her album of 2019 uh titanic rising was is, is really incredible yeah that's a heavy hitter um, um anyway um so that is world galaxy uh <laughs> we we pretty much listened to the whole album um and that, sorry about that well you know what honestly uh we listened to the whole album and then ended up talking about psychedelics and uh consciousness and life natural progression happiness and, yeah. and craziness of life so really what happened is we experienced the album before everybody's very ears. That's true. Wow. Okay. That makes me feel a lot better. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. You fucking plebs. Now Venmo us money. <laughs> Everyone drop your Venmo handles. Uh, I have a whole little bit of notes here about um, Alice Coltrane's like music after world galaxy after mm-hmm. she, but I, I'll just, do the highlights real quick. Um, in 1975, she opened a Vedantic uh, meditation center um, in the Santa Monica Mountains, um, and you know she changed her name to Turiya Sati Dananda, which translates to Transcendental Light, Transcendental Lord's Highest Song of Bliss. 
beautiful. Um, she started releasing these tapes uh, after her like work contract with Warner Brothers or Impulse or whoever was up. Um, and it, these these tapes just went out to members of the um, the ashram. And they're worth a lot of money these days. But Luaka Bop actually put out a compilation of them a couple years ago, which I highly, highly recommend. And I think that's actually where my favorite um, Alice Coltrane work is in, in that section of her, uh, her career. And I'll just play like a quick little clip from the uh, Turia Sings, which I think was the first one that was released in 1982. And these, like, you know, these are psychedelic in a different way, I guess. And I'll just read this quote from Luwaka Bop. Um, these cassettes contained a music she invented inspired by the gospel music of the Detroit churches she grew up in, mixed together with the Indian devotional music of her religious practice, and even finds Alice singing for the first time in her recorded catalog. So she never oh. sang before. Yeah, and she's got a beautiful voice. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know. It's, it's something else. Um, originally only made available through her ashram, they are her most obscure body of work and possibly the greatest reflection of her soul, which I think is why they, you know, it's like, I feel like all the other stuff like sort of melts away and you just have this woman like singing her songs to God and uh, you can hear it. It's like, you know, she's not faking any of that. I can't I can't recommend this stuff enough um, if any of this the Alice Coltrane stuff that you listen to today or this week or whenever have, has spoken to you this is check this stuff out it's very it's beautiful crazy that she never sang before this what a, that's yeah wow right it's beautiful it's so powerful too and it's so like incredible to think about just like the amount of thinking and the amount of knowledge between like those churches in Detroit, like you were saying, versus all like the Eastern culture, she's just, uh, I am too stoned to think of a word, which is <laughs> my point. Uh, that she just, like found her way to her. Yeah, that like she's like researched and read through and just like consumed. And yeah. Just, like, I don't know. It's just stuff like that that is just so beautiful and makes me so upset to think about the amount of people who will never open up their life to any sort of new experience that could change their way of thinking so drastically by understanding how small our understanding is. I am a fucking asshole. No, you're not. I gotta this go. This is our most beautiful episode of the podcast by far. I'm, I'm gonna so change glad. my voice so people think I'm Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Gee gosh, that Alice Gold trade is extremely... Do you have like a Disney filter you can throw on? <laughs> Yeah, it's just called Muppet Voice, and it just sounds, it makes me sound real nice. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> Alice Coltrane died in, in 2007, but her- <laughs> Shame on you, Just both. like, I'm trying to be nice, and she's dead! And That's she's the... dead, and you killed her. I was only laughing because Joe was, Joe was still making a noise when he started that sentence. I was making a Muppet noise, but, oh, well, she's missed dead. It. <laughs> <laughs> she's dead <laughs> anyway she, she passed she passed peacefully <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> don't peacefully be next to her co-pilot <laughs> her Muppet co-pilot <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and sadly, the well, we're gonna end on even more of a bummer note than Alice oh, no. dying. Her the uh, the ashram that she started in 1975 uh, was destroyed in wildfires in 2018, so Oof. no longer there. But I think the um, the 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 Vedic center might still be practicing in some some way, but the ashram is no longer there. And that is Alice Coltrane. Wow. So that was, I haven't been looking at how long that was. But. Fucking bummer ending. I don't think I realized OJ Simpson hosted SNL. I didn't either. That's why it went downhill. And it's time for everybody's favorite uh, Frank Zappa based segment of the podcast where we talk about the degrees of. That I started and continuously <laughs> forgot. Yeah. No, that's okay. I like I like that we kind of push the responsibility off. In this case, we just figured it out right now because we all forgot to do it. Um, but the degrees from Frank Zappa that Alice Coltrane's World Galaxy is four? Four? Uh, so Frank Lowe, who plays saxophone on World Galaxy, um, played in Sun Ra's orchestra, although not at the time of this performance, I don't think but i could it could be maybe sure uh, and the orchestra played um on snl in 1978 may of 1978 and then frank zappa played on snl later that year so it's a bit of a stretch as these often are but that's what we got four degrees there not, we go. Bad. not bad oh, yeah okay so what have you guys been listening to this week well uh, yeah. I, I threw one in the chat. I think Joe has as well. Um, I'll go. I'll go first. Do it. Yeah. So I started following Barry Gibb on uh, <laughs> Instagram, and today was the 51st anniversary of a BG single that I do enjoy. I, do you guys know early BG's music? No. Just that it's like really different than okay. disco Yeah, I'm excited for you to hear this. So this is not the the I forget what single was like the 51st anniversary today, but this is a better single <laughs> by the Bee Gees. <laughs> I've heard the documentary about them. Awesome. Oh, I'd like to see that. Although I'll watch pretty much any music documentary. Same here. But yeah, I like this. I like these early Bee Gees records where they're just a 60s pop band. This one used to be um, five of them. I love that old Hammond organ. I love that sound so much. This song's about a death row prisoner trying to get one more letter to his wife before he dies. It's a Those weird. are some sideburns. Yeah, dude. This is. I was hesitant to send the video instead of just like a picture of the album. I was like, this is going to be distracting, but you should watch it. Uh, can you say the name of the song? Oh yeah, it's uh, I've Gotta Get a Message to You by the Bee Gees. This was a big single for um, 
I, I had no idea for a very long time that they had a disco career. But um, it was five of them, and then they split up, and it was, um, I think it was just the three brothers, or two brothers and a cousin. And that became like, you know, the iconic three And then they broke like up the Beach Boys. I hate to say it, this would lend itself very well to like a reggae, like ballad cover. Oh yeah, it would. I know I'm a caricature of myself, but that was my first time. <laughs> <laughs> like, the Slackers would do this really well. <laughs> but the thing I like about the Bee Gees is they broke up once and they said, hey, let's never break up again, you guys. And they never did. They're just They're like just, sweet brothers, just right? Hung, hanging out. Mm-hmm. Just a nice, happy family playing music together, hanging out. Really? There's no, like, dark underbelly? I kind of figured there would be. Nope. No, they're just weirdos. Oh. The actual movie, like, Saturday Night Fever, is way darker than you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, that movie is fucked up. Oh, man, dude, that album's so good, though. Yeah, it's just a bummer of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a listening. great song though. What what album is it on? Uh, Idea. Cool. I think it's their third album. That's cool, man. Yeah, big fan. It, uh, but this was not gonna be the song. This would not have been the song I was gonna pick for this episode if we didn't record it today. But today I've been <laughs> I listened to like two Bee Gees albums today, today, which I'm is so I. It is funny to think that people at work definitely don't realize that's what's happening when they look at me. What's that what? weird-looking guy listening to right now? <laughs> I always hate when I... The guy like, with the motorhead tattoo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got <laughs> The worst is, like, I, I'll, like, listen to my iPod on shuffle, so then, like, random, like, stand-up comedy will come up, and I'm just, like, doing Ooh. my day, and then I'll just start laughing to myself, and it's just... <laughs> you look like such a maniac if you're just yeah. on the train laughing. Do you really have an iPod? Yeah, I, I'm cool. I'm very obsessive about having all of my music on one thing so that it can be this random experience. Well, I'm it's very I, I I think it's the remnants of Catholicism that I need some kind of ritual in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's where it comes out. And I that as far as recovering Catholics go, it's a much healthier <laughs> outlet. <laughs> historically uh so what what are you what's your track so this was just a a a wonderful coincidence that we were doing this uh alice album and then last friday this album dropped with um pharaoh sanders who is heavily featured on um the album you almost did journey Um, into such a denanda yeah then this dropped and uh it's Pharaoh Sanders, so it came out this year, and they, I guess they've been working on it for a while. There's, there's a lot of moving parts, but it's it's com- composed by this uh, British electronic producer named Floating Points. Uh, his real name is Sam oh, Shepard. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, I don't know who that is, but just the fact that Pharaoh Sanders is working with... Like a, a younger contemporary yeah. producer. That so he, is he, awesome. He composed the the piece like there's electronics and like uh keys and stuff that he's playing like i don't i don't know that 
I don't know. I don't have like a uh, an instrument tracklist, so he does play synth and real like like instruments too. So there's mm -hmm. I don't know the breakdown between synths and real keys on it, but uh, and then Ferris Sanders like improvised over it, and then in like the sixth movement of this piece, the London Symphony Orchestra enters, which is wild. That like it's like twenty minutes into this like. 60 minute piece and it's broken up into movements i only i only picked the first movement because farrah sanders is so good on it yeah this i had had heard this one this week too and it really blew me away because it's not like anything else that i've ever heard from farrah sanders and that explains it that he's working with uh, sam shepherd <laughs> I don't know who Paul Diddy is. I'm just looking at the credits for the album. It says design layout, Paul Diddy. And I, I hope that's P Diddy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, we know his name is not that, but it's a lost <laughs> opportunity. The woman whose art is on the cover, she's really cool. I saw her, like there's an exhibit of her work at the um, Detroit Institute of Art when I was there. I, and they were like selling it was like the like last few days of the exhibit, so they were selling like the books of it real cheap. So cool. I just picked one up, which is very cool. It's like it's like kind of abstract, but like loose. It feels like they're like geographical, but then kind of like abstract. I don't know. She's really cool, but I I, I don't. I tried listening to some other floating point stuff, and it's very interesting, but not for me. Like. Hmm it's it's electronic it's just not what i'm super into but then mm -hmm. this album just blew me away it's so beautiful and it builds like this is like yeah like there's 20 minutes before the entire orchestra comes in it's so and that one like little riff repeats every like nine seconds and it's just so cool that this one like simple line can be built up in so many different ways yeah, very, very cool pick for the week. Mm. This is really, really awesome. And the more, I, I wish we could sit here and listen to all four movements. We simply don't have the time. Yeah, maybe I'll do it one week. Once, like, I feel like I need to, like, wait for more info to come out about it because it, like, just came out. Right, just week. dropped. It's not even, oh. But I cannot recommend oh, it. Oh, interesting. Oh, um, Luakabop? Uh, maybe is distributing it or something because it's like cool. a soul jazz record but Luakabop who put out that um alice coltrane overview of her um very cool i i pre-ordered it i don't think the physical copies have come out yet so i, I did pre-order it but do you see me trying to <laughs> i see it <laughs> i want it it's very <laughs> cool it's a really but, really cool record yeah it, it's um <laughs> I don't know my my brain was gonna say it's a real grower not a shower like it's just, it's a very unflashy album but it just yeah it just keeps building in really beautiful ways wow yeah what a way yeah. to learn about Joe <laughs> <laughs> we all learned something about Joe yeah he really did show us something there <laughs> and now we all grew as friends <laughs> yeah Aww. And um, um, what are we doing next week, Alan? Oh, yeah, good question. Well, I wanted to do something that I revisited after you brought up this album, 
because I was thinking, well, look at these is classic uh, jazz jazz men uh, that we know and their significant others who have so much talent and are often overshadowed by their husband's career. And so I figured we would explore one of my favorite albums, which is uh, Nasty Gal by Betty Davis. Ooh. Ooh. All right. I've never heard this. That's exciting. No, I haven't either. That's great. Uh, cool. It is insane. And uh, it's an album that I came across when I first started working at the record store. I saw the cover. Well, one of my I mean, coworkers it, saw the cover, which that is that is a cover. It is her on, laying on the ground, holding her heel and high. I mean, you can you'll see it, <laughs> listener. <laughs> it's it's you know, it's just, a shower. Yeah, it's a it's shower. A shower. <laughs> <Grow>. <laughs> it makes me all right. All right you could. Uh, I just wanted you to hear the very beginning of this album as a little teaser. Because I'm gonna run it immediately gets you so fucking pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> who it, I need to know who plays the bass. Do you know off the top of your head? Can I you don't off the top of my head. I have it open. It's Larry Johnson. Wow. Larry Johnson. I've never heard of you before, but I am real excited for fucks. this one. I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's, me too. This it's is a, it's a great album. I love she has three studio albums and they're all really great, but this one is like this one's funky as shit and it's gonna blow your fucking mind. <laughs> and I think it's also a very funny uh way to think about uh dana's pick versus my pick where it's the same type of thing but instead it's like here's alice coltrane and it's very introspective and deep and thoughtful and it's like here's alan this is stuff that talks about fucking and <laughs> dance and it's cool <laughs> i'm <laughs> nothing so but a nasty girl Just <laughs> we know. two different two different ways to transcend <laughs> Well, I to see if like Charles Mingus's wife ever did anything cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna save it, but they yeah. Oh, never mind. If we gotta keep doing like jazz, I really want to do Black Saint and the Senior Lady. That would point. be an awesome one to do. Mingus is so interesting too. Just his life. I don't know if you've yeah, ever read his his um autobiography. That like is just him making shit it's up. It's <laughs> so. What are you horny. I've never read such a horny oh, yeah. book. Mingus like absolutely wrote his own autobiography in like a fugue state of like drugs and schizophrenia. It just like lies all the time. He's like, I was a pimp. I would have sex with everybody that I was a pimp for. Uh, I had sex like 300 times in one day. Like it's just like, <laughs> like Papa and, John level lies. Yeah. <laughs> and then I invented the bass guitar. I don't, but he, he's my favorite of like the like the jazz greats. Like the jazz greats. Cause yeah. again, he is he's a bassist. So like he takes solos, but he's mostly like really interested in like composition. Like he's not the star of those albums nine times out of ten it's really cool well that sounds 
pretty interesting too but i'm i'm so excited to like go into this one completely blind i don't know any of betty davis's albums because i'm fucking ignorant which we all know thanks for listening guys see you in hell This has been brought to you by Dead and Mellow. Follow us on all your social media platforms and shop around at deadandmellow.com to see all of our stand-up, music, and podcast releases. Thank you, and God bless America. All right, see you later. See Are you we guys. actually leaving or just that dig?